Was I trying to say Raymond and it came out Rainman? Ladies and gentlemen, step right up. Charlie finally got it. That Rainman is Raymond. Good God. Took you long enough. everybody and welcome to another episode of the cinema psych podcast podcast where psychology meets film i am your host dr alex swan and today's film is going to be a little walk down memory lane in this episode we're going to be talking about rain man one of our an early ish role for Tom Cruise. He gets second billing to Dustin Hoffman in this film. Came out in 1988. I say early-ish because, yeah, he was in other stuff earlier in the decade. But, you know, it's... Uh, it, it's I, I consider it part of uh, Tom Cruise's early career. Uh, the film was directed by Barry Levinson and written by Barry Morrow and Ronald Bass. One of the things that we are going to get, get in to with this movie is the characterization of Raymond Babbitt played by Dustin Hoffman and probably one of one of his best acting performances ever even though Dustin Hoffman is a creepy old man um i this this was an extremely good character because he never wavers at all in the movie He's always he's like overacting almost. And then Tom Cruise plays his long lost uh, uh, younger brother, Charlie Babbitt. Um, And so it's a story about these two brothers connecting and uh, and uh, a change in maybe Tom Cruise's character, Charlie, on uh, his his future. We'll see. We'll 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 definitely get into that because the vast majority of the episode, I think, I think you you know, uh, if you've ever seen Ray's Rain Man, is the portrayal of Raymond Babbitt, uh, and uh, the sort of characterization of autism in the film. Uh, is probably what what is the the film most most famous idea, um, and uh, according to uh, Barry Morrow, who was the principal writer for the for the movie, uh, the character came out of his um, meeting of Kim Peek, a real life savant, and then Bill Sachter. Uh, who was a good friend of Barry Morrow and was the subject of Bill, uh, uh, which was an earlier film that uh, that Barry Morrow wrote. And so it was an amalgamation of those those two people. And um, without further ado, we're going to jump right in with our returning guest host. 
my guest host today is returning guest host, Dr. Anthony Zaccalillo. Welcome back to the show, Anthony. Thank you very much for having me back, Alex. Uh, pleasure to be back. Excited to talk some more movies with you. Great. Yeah, me too. Um, so, you know, just to get us warmed up a little bit, how's life been during the last time we spoke? Almost a year ago, I will say. It doesn't feel like that long, but almost a year ago when I went back and looked, I was like, oh my gosh, it was more, almost a year ago. About a really interesting topic that uh, seemingly hasn't gone away. We talked about uh, in your first episode, the movie Contagion, and that was just as the pandemic hit the U.S. So how you been since then? Yeah, I mean, we we knew it was prescient when we did that film, but mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of interesting to see, you know, here we are, you know, 10 months later, still dealing with, uh, you know, the effects. Um, we really, when we talked the last time, had no idea right. exactly the course. Um, so. Um, but, you know, I mean, like most academics, I am adjusting on the fly uh, with everything, um, you know, trying to keep my head above water, um, you know, down yeah. here in Texas. It's uh, always a little confusing, uh, the rationale for why things are open or why things aren't. So right. trying to be safe, but also trying to get out of the house a little bit. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, safe and sane, um, I guess, would be my uh you know, where I am now. Yeah. I'm um, kind of looking forward and hoping that the, uh, at least the, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, that is, um, that is good as, uh, a nice way to look at it. Uh, how, how has your teaching been, uh, in these, in these past months? Uh, well, like most people, we switched to fully online, uh, for the March, which for, uh, for the end of the spring semester, which right. was, you know, just, just North of disastrous. Sure. Um, most of us that were ready to go online were fine, but there were a lot of people who weren't. So those of us who were more adept at making that transition ended up pulling a lot of the weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fall was a little bit better as we were talking about mostly hybrid or high flex or whatever trendy higher ed words are being <laughs> used. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at least having the opportunity to be present, uh, with some students and recording for those who needed the accommodations. Um, you know, I, it was a lot harder not having um, the discussions sure. uh, normally um, that I would. Uh, so it did kind of force me into some some more lecture. Um, yeah. Heavy, heavy types of things, which I wasn't right. terribly fond of. Um, but, you know, at the end of the semester, got the content covered. Feel like I delivered good classes. Students seemed relatively, you know, okay. Grades were where they should have been. So by and large, most of the markers, you know, where they should have been. Well, that's good. I mean, that's yeah. good. And continuing with that this uh, this coming semester, that same model? Same, yeah, it's going to be the same model. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have, as I'm sure, you know, most universities do, we have a plan in place. Yeah. You know, should, you Things know, rates worse. rise, yeah, yeah. To, a, to a certain level. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody is very, very familiar with what it would look like now going online. So sure, yeah. Surprises. We um we were are one of the universities that canceled spring break. Yeah, um, we did so, as well. Womp yeah. womp. Yep, exactly. So we're starting a week later, but it'll be a straight fifteen weeks. Yeah. Um, kind of have mixed feelings about that. Um, but 
you know, it's, it's we'll nice to get the to break. Do. Sure. Yeah, yep. indeed. It'll hopefully, you know, things uh, improve to different proportions mm. uh, come come the summertime when uh, hopefully things things get better. I, I yeah. don't want to I don't want to dream too much. And <laughs> I don't also want the episode to be too anachronistic. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, we did choose contagion, so we were kind of asking for it. Well, in that one, uh, in that one but yes. in, but in this particular episode, let's we yeah, let's I don't want to make it too direction. inaccurate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so um, <clears throat> one of the things that uh, has happened uh over the course of the pandemic has been um this uh what do we do with films in online classes so before we jump into this film i just quick quickly wanted to get your um strategy for because i know you're a big use of user of film in your classes um what what strategy have you done to uh get around uh the sort of in-person restrictions going on right now? Um, I, and I've, I've still been able to use a lot of film um, where I would, especially like those canned clips. Sure. Um, you know, they have, you know, they're tried and true. Uh, you know, the technology allows the, you know, really decent streaming of it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in that regard, I haven't really had to change. Uh, you know, there certainly was a, a lack of film sort of new films coming out to sort of yeah. bring into the content um, using full films was not something that I did uh, gotcha. this semester, okay. which, you know, wouldn't necessarily do it, but, you know, occasionally, especially in general psych, depending on the vibe of the class, uh, you know, I did teach a summer film class, mm -hmm. uh, which was, you know, in the planning before the pandemic. Right. Um, you know, that we did a little bit differently, uh, wasn't able to do group viewings mm -hmm. uh, to the same degree. So it was a lot of making them available through, you know, media site or other streaming services. We sure. did some Netflix parties, uh, nice. you know, where, where appropriate. Yeah. Um, but the community viewing aspect was not really there. And, and for a yeah. film class that, that, that really wasn't ideal. I will say on a slightly tangential note um, about your Netflix watch party thing. So uh, I think, uh, I mean, Amazon and Twitch started this a little bit earlier than the other streaming. But I do uh, do have to applaud the um, big streaming services by recognizing that while we have to be apart from each other, we can still try to do things together and jumping in on that. I have not done either of them through the app, so I don't know how well they work, but, um, I mean, not bad. Okay. You just yeah. have to, you have to have some other text medium, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, there's no, you know, uh, there's no audio. So, you know, you're watching the movie together. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's a, you know, a, a chat box, um, that, that occurs. Um, so, you know, again, not ideal. I don't know that I'd want audio there. Then it would kind of take on this mystery science theater feel where everybody's <laughs> sort of commenting <laughs> randomly, uh, that might not be the best thing. Sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, and there are some limitations to that. I had students who didn't have Netflix. So, you know, when we were doing a Netflix party, 
you know, I had to have other films available for people to watch so that then when we got into class, we could discuss it. So there, you know, were some limitations with that, but trying to leverage, you know, some of that new technology and, you know, what those streaming services were trying to do. Um, And I was largely happy with it. Yeah, same. Okay, Anthony, let's talk Rain Man. Okay, so. What about this movie would you say makes a good good choice for the Cinema Psych podcast, this show? Well, for for me, um, I, I, there'll, there'll be a lot of, uh, I'm assuming, our conversations about sort of the evolution of how we as a profession have understood uh, autism and autism spectrum sure. disorder over, yeah. over the last 20-something years. But one of the things that, you know, really resonated when we were talking about this title was its influence on the zeitgeist, you know, its influence on people's perceptions of, you know, at that time, a very, you know, poorly understood disorder Mm -hmm. um, and and raising it to, you know, the awareness of people, you know, I mean, that was a cultural phenomenon, um, you know, back in 1988, right? Yep. you know, so, you know, went from a disorder that was relatively obscure uh, to something that was, you know, again, on everybody's, you know, in, on everybody's radar, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and I think that's what really makes this a really, really interesting topic, because looking at how film can influence um, people's behaviors, people's attitudes, I think that that's prime material for this podcast. And I love to tell a story he's of the autistic. Now he's autistic. And it was they they set out a uh, initial program where a Pony's Express would would ride for pro- approximately twenty miles as fast as. Well, what am I supposed to do? There's got to be something that I can do here. Well, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I do know that his brain doesn't work like other people, and what he does isn't intended to be annoying. If he's getting on your nerves, you just take a break, spend some time away from. Him. Sure, I'll just send him back. Sorry? No, it's just it's inside jokes. You're telling me I just have to deal with this stuff. Is that it? I just, uh, I just got to deal with this stuff. Yeah, that's about it. Out of curiosity, does he have any special abilities? Well, I mean, he's got a pretty good memory. He can, uh, he counts toothpicks. Huh? Toothpicks. They spilled a box of toothpicks on the floor, and they took one look at him and knew exactly how many, how many counted them, seconds. Huh. Right. Raymond. Yeah. Are you good with numbers? Yeah. I read about this. I'm going to try something here. Kmart 400 Oak Street. What did I tell you after this, Ray? Yeah. After this. Ray, can we try something? Yeah. Do you know how much 312 times 123 is? 38376. He's right. What? He's right. He's right? Yeah. Ray, how much is 4,343 times... 1,234. 535-9262. He's a genius. That's right. He's a genius. Ray, 
Do you know how much the square root of 2,130 is? 46.1519 2304. 2304. That's amazing. I mean, that is amazing. He should work for NASA or something like that. If you had a dollar and you spent 50 cents, how much money would you have left? And, and, you know, and I do have a personal, uh, a personal sort of connection uh, to this topic. Uh, only because when I started out as a young, you know, newly graduated bachelor's degree in psychology, mm-hmm. thinking that thinking that I could get a job, you know, that <laughs> might pay something. Um, one of my first jobs uh, was working uh, within the social services system, mm-hmm. uh, working with individuals with autism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been a personal sort of uh, uh, topic for me for you know, my entire professional career. Sure. Uh, so I was really, really happy when we were discussing what films to do. And this one kind of came up because I have a lot to say about it. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, we're going to jump right into it. So uh, the first thing, uh, Anthony, if you will, uh, tell our listeners what exactly we want to talk about uh, with respect to autism. Maybe describe what autism is, what autism spectrum disorder is, give a little bit of history about the disorder in real life, and then we'll start by, and then then from there we'll use that as a, as a uh, diving board into the film's portrayal. Sure. Um, so, you know, the current nomenclature, uh, is autism spectrum disorder, um, and it has been since 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, what autism spectrum disorder, uh, really did was it collapsed four previous categories into a single disorder. Uh, the two that most people are aware of was autistic disorder and mm-hmm. Asperger's syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think Asperger's will come up quite a bit in this because when we talk about media portrayal of autism, more often than not, we're talking about people who fell in that diagnosis. Okay. Um, And then there was childhood disintegrative disorder Mm -hmm. and pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. So Mm -hmm. those were fairly rare. Gotcha. Um, It it collapsed the categories. Um, And again, the biggest one being uh, previously social impairment and uh, deficits in language and communication were viewed as two separate uh, elements. Okay. Uh, and in the new spectrum disorder, those two have been collapsed. Okay. Um, and so deficits in social communication and language okay. uh, are a sort okay. of singular um, touch point to look at. Okay. Uh, the repetitive and restricted behaviors, um, you know, sort of that physical um, thing that a lot of people uh, associate with autism, that hasn't changed. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, you know, even though autism has been in the literature for, you know, the better part of a century, it really wasn't until 1980 that it gained a diagnosis in the DSM. Uh, prior to that, the word autism was only used in relation to childhood schizophrenia. Oh, and, that's interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so a lot of the theories prior to the 80s had to do with very sort of Freudian ideas of why it was mm-hmm. these children were showing these um, sets of symptoms. And so, um, you know, terms like refrigerator mother, um, you know, were very, very popular in the early you know, or in the middle part of the century in describing, um, you know, this disorder as if it was something that was learned, um, you know, in the early parts of childhood. Obviously, mm-hmm. we've learned now it's a developmental disorder and it's genetic and mm-hmm. clearly it's not because of 
cold, um, impersonal, you know, mothering um, right. that causes children to behave in this way. Yeah. So yeah, it's roots in infantile or what was referred to as infantile autism. Okay. Um, was sort of the earliest connection, but in in um, uh, 1980 again DSM three uh, autism appeared as a diagnosis, but it still wasn't really fully realized. It was in 87 when autistic disorder um, became part of the DSM three. And I think that was a three R yeah. kind of challenging my former clinical background here, but, <laughs> but I mean, the, the interesting part about that probably is that the idea of autistic disorder as a diagnosable condition was right before the release of this film. Um, yeah. So one of the reasons why, most people had not heard of autistic disorder and even those who knew or heard of it didn't know much about it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't written about uh, all that often because, you know, there were no standards, you know, um, diagnostic criteria. So in the literature, it was very, very hard, um, you know, for people to talk about something that was just kind of talked about vaguely. Oh, okay. And then the, the label of savant syndrome, did people know about that too? I know uh, I, I know uh, currently savant syndrome is a sort of pseudoscientific idea, um, but it's it's still talked about with rel I, I, I want to say uh, relative stoneness uh, as to consider it a fact around this time and with respect to this movie. So mm -hmm. um, what what about savant syndrome? So I don't know as much about that and actually was finding conflicting pieces of information on it. Mm -hmm. um, I do believe sort of the public belief of it is way more solidified than what the science says. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen numbers uh, anywhere between one in 10 individuals with autism that also has savant syndrome to one in 200. Okay. Um, those are radically different numbers. Yeah. Um, um, the important thing, though, that I took away sort of from, again, my personal understanding, professional understanding and sort of the research that I did was it is separate. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Savant syndrome does occur um, and sometimes occurs more frequently in other diagnoses other than autism. Mm -hmm. um, but we can say with some certainty that it is linked to autism because of Rain Man. Uh, OK. And, okay. And so when we think about the public's perception um oftentimes those savant skills um are part of people's basic understanding uh, of it and it's really when you look at what are the cultural representations and i hope we do have some time to talk about other better portrayals of autism um sure autistic spectrum disorder excuse me i still i still have a problem sometimes referring it to its current name so Forgive me when I screw that up. Me too. Um, yeah. Um, but I, I do think that a lot of people like, you know, they hear about autism. It's like, oh, Rain Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so mm -hmm. all of the things associated with Raymond Babbitt become part of what people believe is true. Um, and again, right. I think that goes back to your original question about why is this film so good for this podcast? Well, we see a really, really long lasting effect of a piece of popular culture sure. that still influences people's perceptions, even, you know, 20 or 32 years later, right? Did my math 30 at yeah, 32 years later, 
when we know a whole lot more, but yet Rain Man is still most people's cultural touch point. Yeah, I I 100% uh, agree with you. We're going to take a quick break and jump right back into it. Stay with us. Hey, listener. Thanks for sticking around this episode. I hope you're enjoying it. Anyway, I need your help in growing this podcast's audience. In past episodes, I've asked you to share this podcast with five of your friends. Let's keep doing that. Share this podcast on social media, especially if you really liked an episode. Share that episode. Tell five of your friends or family if they have an interest in film or psychology, or even better, both. Growing the audience is our goal for the second year of programming, and so we need your help to get that done. Other ways to contribute to the podcast include tips to our PayPal, found on our website, Becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cinemapsychpod. Rocking some sweet merch from our Spreadshirt shop. And or leaving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast service. Now back to the show. So let's pivot then now to Raymond Babbitt, the character. So based on what you just just described about uh uh ASD and the sort of history of it and then now we're at so we're going to be using our current lens to to view Raymond Babbitt's character even though in 1988 it wasn't necessarily <laughs> the same so describe for us what's what situation Raymond is and 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 what that portrayal uh, or I should say well let's just get to brass tacks uh, how is the portrayal so I, I overall I would call it poor uh, but I wouldn't say that it wasn't without some elements that I think were good okay um you know uh, I think it starts off on a very very bad note um, you know, this idea of him in an institution, okay, which yeah. would not have been that uncommon earlier in the century. By about that time, generally speaking, from what we know about Raymond, mm -hmm. um, he was probably high enough functioning that he probably didn't need to be uh, in an institution. Now, albeit we get some indication that, you know, mom dies, mm -hmm. uh, dad, not necessarily the caretaker. Um, yeah. and then, you know, a little bit later on, um, during the buddy movie part of, uh, of rain, man, we kind of learned that there was an incident mm -hmm. where, um, uh, he might've drawn a bath for, for Charlie. That was a little too hot. Rain man. Yeah. I said rain man. Yeah. Funny rain man. Was I trying to say Raymond and it came out Rain Man? Yeah, funny Rain Man. You? You're the Rain Man? Who took this picture? T.A.D. And you lived with us? Yeah, 1961 Beechcrest Street, Cincinnati, Ohio. 
When, uh, when, when did, when did you leave? January 21st, 1965. You, you remember that? It's Thursday, very snowy out, 7.2 inches of snow that day. Is that just after Mom died, New Year's? Yeah, yeah Mom died January 5th, 1965. And you remember uh, that day? You remember that day that you left? Short, short and sudden illness. You remember that day? Yeah. You left? Yeah. Was I there? Where was I? You were in the window. You, you waved to me. Bye-bye, Rain Man. Bye-bye, Rain Man. So you, you, you were the one that sang to me? Yeah. What, 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 what? what? What, what, what did you sing? What, what, what was that song? What did you sing? What? She was just 17 And you know what I mean And the way she looked was way beyond compare So how could I dance with another? Ooh, I saw her can I like it when you sing to me? Yeah. Can we sing any other songs? You like the Beatles? Yeah. Oh, 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 it's a scary band. Oh, it's a scary band. You know, we can see why, you know, in that situation, they might, um, you know, might take Raymond and, and put him in an institution. Mm -hmm. um, but he is relatively high functioning, um, even as we see him, um, you know, when we look at it through a modern day lens, there is no way that Raymond would be in any kind of institution today. Mm -hmm. um, he would be perfectly capable of living with far less supervision, um, at worst a group home, but more likely than not an independent apartment that had some staff assistance. Mm -hmm. So, so one of the things that rubs me wrong about that is you are, are automatically taking a disorder and contextualizing it as individuals who are institutionalized. Mm -hmm. And then they marry that with, with the, you know, just Raymond, and his savant skills becoming right. a focal point of the film, which is probably the thing that I like the least about it because it's Ditto. had the most cultural, cultural, you know, um, it's lasted the longest in, in our culture. You know, people don't, you know, don't remember, you know, things about, um, you know, his rocking motions, mm -hmm. which, you know, from what I understand, he, you know, uh, at least was in contact with several individuals who, you know, did have autism and mirrored some of his mannerisms from, mm -hmm. you know, those individuals. So, you know, the scenes, especially where I see him rocking um, or the um, some of the scenes uh, with a lack of eye contact, yeah. and certainly the 
muted uh, emotional tones. Mm -hmm. I think those are relatively accurate, um, both in what I understand the disorder to be from a clinical perspective, as well as my experience Mm -hmm. with individuals. Um, But I, I, unfortunately I feel like those subtleties get lost uh, in this film. Um, And you remember things like counting cards in Las Vegas Mm -hmm. or uh, him freaking out with the toaster oven um, when he sets off the smoke alarm. Um, right. You know, though, you know, those are the things that I think people remember about this film, mm-hmm. which, you know, ultimately, ultimately, you know, sort of shifts my view about it. Um, okay. Yeah. And I, I 100% agree that um, the things that get remembered most are the uh, more quote unquote zany aspects the the things that make the entertainment hit harder i suppose mm-hmm. um from from a purely entertainment standpoint a purely cynical entertainment standpoint yes. um the the things that make you go huh so um i was uh I, i'm referring to somewhat to the toothpick scene where they're in the diner <laughs> right. and um uh, they have to they have to go uh, after Charlie takes a phone call from, I think it's the um, uh, the head of the institution or the doctor at the institution right. where yeah. Raymond was. And they have to go, but Raymond wanted some toothpicks. And so um, he tries to open the box and they all fall and they all fall out. And um, he says there are 246 toothpicks, toothpicks on the floor. And uh, uh, the waitress the server who i believe is bonnie hunt it looks it, it, it is it is oh it my is god hunt. yes um <laughs> i didn't even I, I, I did I not am, remember that but i i am db that as soon as i saw it yeah I'm like, that looks like bonnie hunt and right yeah, it was uh she says to charlie as he turns to go that there are only four left in a box of 250 and it's like how do you one did you count all of them on the floor? Cause he, there was a first number he gave, it was like 88 or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then how do you know how many toothpicks are in the box? Like it's one or the other amazing feat. And that's the kind of stuff that sticks. That's mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that sticks with the viewer because it's like, Whoa, I can't do that. I can't add three numbers together yeah. at the same time. One plus one plus uh, two uh, plus I don't know. Like we're all we all seem super dumb by not being able to do that kind of thing. But uh, um, but there are lots of people who are like this in the history of psychology. I talked about super memorists at the very end of this past semester with my memory class. Mm. And um, whereas, you know, I would firmly place. Uh, Raymond in a his capacity is just better but there's a little bit of technique in there too like he spends a lot of time doing these kinds of things he spends a lot of time with puzzles that have like numbers inherently embedded within them so yeah something is different on the uh, brain level and giving him the ability to focus on that information, but then this like massive amount of technique that put him in the far end of the memory curve 
and then then we're then that's what we focus on because we think it's a, a about a movie about a uh of a uh what what are they called mental cal- uh human calculators yeah human calculators yep yeah and i mean we see that you know and i think that this you know um it, it had been a while um since i had seen this film so certainly welcome the opportunity to go back and revisit yeah. it um wondering what my opinion might be of it and uh, you know, uh, it really was, um, you know, if we wanted to look at this film, you know, it, it really was kind of lazy um, in its screenwriting. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it I mean, is, well, like, I, I said at the top of the show, I mean, the screenwriting. Yeah, I will grant you lazy. But I did say at the top of the show, this is. I mean, it's I think it's a well done film and it's a well acted uh, film for sure. I do, too. Yeah, no, I do, too. But I think that the you know, that it was very formulaic. I mean, it's really right, yeah. just a, a real basic take on the buddy movie, mm-hmm. um, you know, told in three acts, um, you know, everything foreshadows something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so but those are the, the the moments of the film that I do think people would remember and maybe not necessarily in the beginning when uh charlie first meets raymond when he's spouting you know some of the base you know the baseball facts but then later on with the phone book um yeah you know and and he gives him the phone book to read and he memorizes you know a through g or whatever you know Mm -hmm. over the course of one evening right um half of you know and then yeah uh, and then the, uh, you know, the scene in the small town doctors, you know, where he was, you know, demonstrating his mental math ability. And then ultimately the scene where he's just throwing cards out uh, on the roof of the car or on the hood of the car. Um, and Raymond's able to say, well, these are the, you know, this is the hand that you have left, which obviously is the driving thing to make them turn around and go back to Las Vegas. Right. So, um, you know, I agree. I do think that there are some great acting performances in this. I do think that, you know, overall it's an enjoyable film from an entertainment perspective, mm-hmm. but I do think that it is, it is structured in a way that, um, creates those moments that when you think about them, they're going to leave a, a weird and or bad impression of what you just saw. Yeah. Um, and, and so if this was a movie, if we were talking about, is this a good representation of Savant? you know, syndrome. Mm-hmm. Sure. Of course it is. Uh, yeah. you know, we know that most savants, you know, their skills are related at least in some way to memory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, you know, not a lot that I've read about it, but you know, when you talk about, um, you know, things like rapid calculation. Uh, yeah. And the, and the person that, um, Raymond was based on Kim peak, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, Kim peak being, being a human calculator. Um, and also, yeah, a rapid absorber of, you know, knowledge. Um, I think I read somewhere, you know, that, you know, towards the end of his life, he could answer almost any question about 10 to 12,000 books that he had read, you know, over the course of his lifetime. Um, so not only was he able to read apparently at a increased speed, uh, but his retention was, you know, nearly you know um i you know photographic or or not photographic but like basically every word yeah flawless yeah yeah uh kind of like solomon sharasevsky s uh oh yeah oliver sacks s yeah uh uh similar but i mean for 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 s it was um synesthesia that Mm. was the major driver of his uh abilities and he was he was miserable 
<laughs> he was miserable. Yeah. He said he said later in his life that like he couldn't he couldn't do the simplest of things and it was it was very troublesome. Right. So uh, uh go no go ahead. No 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 I I'm good. Go ahead. Uh so I wanted to um pivot here to uh, because there there I think we can continue the discussion by incorporating the sharing segment and i normally uh pre-record sharing segments and and give shout outs to uh folks that i've asked for their input on a particular film but i thought this this particular episode might benefit from having a live sharing segment and anthony can can help me out we are both members of the facebook group for the society for the teaching of psychology, STP, where I asked of our colleagues here uh, what um, what they thought about Rain Man uh, and uh, what they would say about it if they were to talk about it in, in class. And I thought a lot of good discussions came up in this particular thread. It was very poppin', and I think that's because a lot of people think uh, are, are, are very passionate about autism and uh, representing the community in the most positive and realistic ways. So we did mention um, Kim Peek was the inspiration for the film, um, just as we said. And uh, uh, I, I think it's important to note that that we need to that we need to make sure that we separate autism spectrum disorder from any sort of representation of savant syndrome. And I think it's it's very important to put a gigantic wedge in in between those two. Um, and one of the things that came up in the sharing segment from, from a lot of people is I would say what. Um, what is one thing that we talked about right before we started recording, Anthony, which was what are alternatives? If somebody wants to use a um, film for autism in their class or a television show or a uh, some other literary work, what are your your I, I, there were some some recommendations dropped in this this discussion, but what are your what are your thoughts on that? I, I'd be very very curious to hear about what some of, of the other people's recommendations are. Um, but you know, as I said earlier, that there is a a lack of good uh, representations, especially individuals who aren't on the higher end of the spectrum. Um, so when we look at you know film uh, uh, or television shows. And there are two that in the recent past that I always think about because those are the ones that students ask me about. Uh, one called The Good Doctor. Okay. Um, and the other one, Atypical. I think Atypical was a Netflix um, series. Um, the Both of them were individuals who were on the higher end of the spectrum, uh, were individuals that would have been previously diagnosed with Asperger's. Mm -hmm. uh, but now, you know, what I'm hearing from students, you know, is because it's autism spectrum disorder, they're a little bit more confused. And so now they see these portrayals of autism and, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, you know, in the case of the good doctor, he was a remarkable surgeon or whatever the heck I couldn't watch it. It was it was just it was unbearable for me to, to watch. Um, but there are there are two things that I have used. Um, in the popular culture that I think are pretty decent. Um, one is kind of odd, 
Uh, since 2015, Sesame Street has had an autistic character named Julia. Yes. Um, that I think more often than not uh, is done very, very well. Okay. Um, really in terms of the, you know, some of the restricted emotional, you know, connections and some of the even repetitive behaviors and, and things like that. Uh, I think they do a very tasteful job uh, of it. Um, the other uh, book, uh, and then it's been made into a play, is a, it's called The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that does, um, it, it, it has some of the same problems as Rain Man does um, okay. know, in some sensationalizing of some things that are not common in autism. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that book, more than the stage play, really when I read it, I was like, this, this feels like I'm getting into this character, this Christopher character. And those are really, really quite good. Um, the movie that I would tell people to watch is Adam, okay. um, which was a 2009 film. And I always forget the, uh, uh, oh, uh, Hugh Dancy, Hugh Dancy. Uh, okay. Who, who I'm not too sure based on other portrayals isn't on the spectrum himself, uh, because he does the um several characters in his uh filmography have again what we would have called asperger's type of traits um i think adam does a good job of at least that higher end i don't know a really really good media portrayal of the average person Mm -hmm. um with autism um, and if anybody, you know, on that thread uh, commented on it, I, I would love to hear what they said. Uh, because sure, most yeah. of the portrayals, like I said, are on the higher end. OK, uh, Mary Miller suggested uh, a in the movie about the movie in Neurotribes, the legacy of autism in the future of neurodiversity. Um, so yeah. she's so Mary suggests I'd have students read that before they watch that film, which would be great. Um, but then she also brings up Temple Grandin. And mm. now there's a documentary on Temple Grandin, but there's also a film that came out in 2010 that starred Claire Danes as yep. Temple. And Temple wrote the screenplay because it was based on her book, right. um, Emergence. Um, and so I've never seen it. I do remember, uh, some Academy Awards for Claire Danes or, or Temple's writing. I think Temple won, right? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I've forgotten all about that. So I don't remember. Oh, when it it was Golden Globe. Sorry. Golden Globe. Uh, cause it says it right here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I, I'm, I I don't know that one, uh, because I, I haven't specifically seen it, but I wonder since it was written by Temple Grandin, a famous uh, autistic scientist uh, and uh, livestock hand, uh, uh, humane livestock handling uh, proponent. Right. Um, if that would be a uh, an interesting one to show. But then there was also another suggestion, which I think you you might recognize once you once it hits you. Um, let me find the post. Uh, where did it go? Um, Meredith um, Neville Boyd uh, suggested what's eating Gilbert Grape. So I actually just saw that as I was kind of looking through. Um, I don't know how I feel about that one because that's another one that 
I haven't seen in quite a while, although oddly enough, it was I, I, I was clicking through channels recently and it was on and I was oh. like, oh, you know, um, and I was like, I haven't seen. And I said, I haven't seen this in a while. Um, so thinking back on it, it could be, um, you know, it's uh, she states that it's not explicitly uh, described in the movie as such. But right. uh, the symptoms uh, um, acted by uh, what's his face, uh, Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio. Yeah. That's who I was thinking of, yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, um, uh, and his older brother, I think, is Johnny Depp, right? Johnny Depp. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yep. so, so that's what she says. She says that it, the 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 symptoms that are portrayed by Leo are um, more in line with what we know of ASD now, even though the movies did come out around the same time. Yeah. So those I, were the I, two suggestions that came out of that thread. No, that that could be. Um, I, I would have to go back and look at that one, and I mean that might. You know, if we looked at that one, it definitely might be a more typical portrayal of autism from my memory um, and not one of these, you know, individuals who are, you know, you know, whether they have a savant skill or on, you know, uh, the higher end of the spectrum. Temple Grandin is a really interesting one. I've seen many interviews with her. Mm -hmm. um, the documentary material I've seen. Um I would be very, very comfortable showing in class uh, to show some of the, you know, interpersonal communication, emotion types of, of you know, parts of the, the disorder, um, as well as some of the repetitive behaviors. Mm -hmm. But you've got to balance that with, you know, OK, this is somebody who was incredibly intelligent, incredibly accomplished. Mm -hmm. um, and so would we be sort of, you know, giving the right you know, message with that, because again, the, the overwhelming majority of individuals are, are, are not going to function at that level, certainly not going to, you know, change a, you know, field of agriculture, you know, to that extent. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's a great story. It's a great inspiration. Um, and like I said, I would feel very, very comfortable pointing to her, her book, the documentaries and interviews that I've seen. Um, I don't know about the movie though, because <laughs> especially the 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 uh, Julius uh, um, Thurdane's portrayal. I've seen clips of it. Look pretty good, but never sat through it. Mm, I gotcha. All right. Um, a, a couple of other points that I wanted to uh, pull out of this thread um, relate to uh, things that are are probably. Uh, stuck with its time period, uh, which I thought would was interesting. That was brought up. So, um, one of the things was that uh, the you know the film came out in 1988, so it was you know filmed either in 1988 or 1987. Um, and there's some interesting historical uh, aspects because it predated the Americans with Disabilities Act um, because that uh, that was in the 1990s. I think. Uh, somewhere uh, early 1990s, somewhere around there. Uh, and so there's some anachronistic uh, tendencies to it. So it's it's a little stuck if you were to watch it now and be like, wait, they can't do that to them or they can't do that to them and they can't do that to them because, you know, that's thinking um, with without the ADA in mind, of course. And then um, so that was uh, Nancy Davis Johnson that came in with that that lovely bit of info. Uh, 
And then on a related note, uh, there it was uh, Julie Weinstein um, mentioned that even even now that once people with autism turn twenty one, uh, they lose services for uh, uh, that they were being provided with. And I don't know if that necessarily applies even in the case of this movie because it sounded like the dad was loaded and so it was just like an ongoing thing. Like uh, um, he's going to pay the, and, and eventually, I don't know, he didn't have to pay anymore. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that I mean, that is... Reverse mortgage, here's my child. Yeah, and I mean, clearly he had a a big wad of cash, um, you know, that he had left to you know to the executor of the estate, which obviously is the driving conflict in the film, right? Um, yeah, I, you know, it's it's always a uh, that's a big thing is you know the schools, um, you know, in terms of services that can be provided up until the age of twenty one, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of services, a lot of money, a lot of programs that are available, but you know then. You know, when they turn 21, then the adult services are limited. Okay. Um, and, you know, those funding, you know, sources are are not as delineated. Clearly, there are things like, you know, the, the federal health insurance, Medicaid, Medicare. Right. I always get confused which one, you know, and certainly somebody who was severely disabled that needed you know, work support or living support, or, you know, in, in the cases, you know, even now somebody who might need hospitalization or, or, you know, long-term inpatient care, mm-hmm. there are, there are, you know, monies available. Um, but I think a lot of the burden falls on families. Um, those services are not easy to access. The system is designed to be frustrating. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. I believe um i do think you see some parallels you know obviously you know if you have means uh you're going to get the best level of care sure. available yeah um, that's one thing that you know hasn't changed mm-hmm. you know if you have a you know a mental illness uh and you have means you're going to find a private hospital that will cater to those needs yeah. you know if you are paying out of pocket yeah and clearly you get that idea that uh, Raymond probably was, you know, his, his, he was being taken care of, um, you know, he was in one of the best institutions. Yeah. Um, so, you know, clearly look, if somebody were to be, you know, any, you know, if somebody was watching that film in 1988 and they had a sibling or a family member that was in an institution, yeah. it probably did not look like Walbrook. Ooh, yeah, that's a good point. That is a very good point. Yeah. Oh boy. That is yeah. um that's yeah, rough. The, the state that the state hospital system looks very, very different than the public. Um sorry, the private hospital sure. system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So and and we, we touched on uh a number of other uh of your thoughts. Uh, so Mitchell Metzler mentioned um that Anthony talked about at the beginning of our discussion that uh, savantism is extremely rare among people on the spectrum. Not not just extreme, ex- exceedingly rare, but um, but specifically for people on the uh, spectrum. And then you get those stereotypes that that raise up. So 
Um, and then uh, just to, to round out this segment here, Kara or Kara, I, my apologies, Ayers uh, wrote about the uh, inherent ableism expressed in the film um, about uh, specifically Charlie's character, but then also the things that are made uh, that Raymond are that Raymond is made to do uh, for the sake of the story. So that's definitely ableism. Mm -hmm. And then Mel Frank mentioned um, the continuum of exceptionalism, right? So there's a little bit more philosophical, which I very much appreciated. Um, Mel says that uh, capitalistic societies are hinged on a significant portion of the economy sustained by citizenry that can produce these days, which is to consume. Given this, how would Rain Man evidence production or consumption? So how would a brother help Raymond identify his purpose, utility, agency throughout his lifespan? I thought it was a really deep set of questions. Yeah. And um, though uh, the story is formulaic, as you said, Charlie has a bit of a redemption arc. Um and Raymond has a bit of a growth arc. Um, the the story beats are pretty similar. Charlie is a loathsome character at the beginning, and through his journey, the journey that he takes you on with him, you grow to. I mean, you quote unquote grow to um, allow Charlie to be graced by his better angels, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, I sympathize yeah. with him. Oh, that. Poor dude. But um in 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 a in a sort of related context, the idea with Mel's uh questions here is that is Raymond only useful to get Charlie out of a bind? Like you you mentioned the the one story part that sort of takes you out of this whole buddy cop journey. Buddy cop, <laughs> I don't know why best friend's journey. Yeah. Um is the very selfish wraparound back to Las Vegas and sort of another aspect of ableism, which is that um, you have some awesome skills but are deficit in so many. Don't worry about it. I'm going to make you a rich guy. Here's mm -hmm. what you got to do. Um, it seemed very, it, it was very self serving. And I don't know why Charlie Babbitt get, earns redemption because I don't see him as a redeeming person. Yeah, I, I don't either. Um, you know, one of the, you know, I, I mean, multiple problems with the whole Las Vegas part of the arc, um, <laughs> you know, given everything that we've learned about Raymond, his reaction in the casino, or I should say lack of reaction. Um, he's very calm. He is, very focused. Um, pretty much if you watch that movie, there's pretty much no indication that he would function that well in the casino, let right. alone, you know, be able to pull that scam for, you know, as long as he did. Right. Um, I, like you, I also have a very, very hard time um, forgiving Charlie. Mm -hmm. Um you know, I, I do believe him and that redemption. I do believe that redemption arc is is legit. Um, I do think that he came um, to a, you know, understanding. I did believe him when he said, you know, he wished that he had known that he had a brother his entire life. So there were some genuine moments in there. Fair. Um, 
you know, when he, you know, if really all he wanted to do is get himself out of, you know, a bind, you know, he could have taken that check, you know, from Dr. Bruner for a quarter of a million dollars, probably could have bumped him up even a little bit more. He could have, you know, he could have had a nice little bit of money and gone on his life and not ever, you know, look back. Um, but, you know, we are left to believe that two weeks after Raymond pulls away on that train that, you know, Charlie is going to be flying back to, I don't even remember where that, uh, mm. where is that? Where Pittsburgh or somewhere out on the East, East coast. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but we believe that he's going to be getting on a plane and going to visit Raymond. Um, you know, and so if, if that's what comes out of it and, you know, then, you know, maybe, uh, maybe there is, you know, something deserved about that redemption. Um, but I still don't like him, but I also don't like Tom Cruise. Uh, that's <laughs> a, sort of a, a personal thing. Uh, so it's hard for me to like, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for the, your thoughts segment. Uh, please keep those, uh, uh, ideas and comments coming when you see those come around the STP page. Generally speaking, is where I ask. Sometimes I ask on Twitter. Sometimes I ask on my Facebook or check the podcast Facebook SinsiPod or Twitter at SinsiPod. <laughs> Just, you know, plugging the two services. Got to get those social medias out there. Exactly. I also want to thank Anthony for joining me to discuss Rain Man. Anthony, before we go, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Well, I mean, right now I have a couple of things that I would categorize as in the fire, but like everything else in the past year, most of it is not, you know, uh, anytime soon coming. So, um, I'm going to do what I did last time. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to plug uh, another excellent film um, podcast uh, that I've had the opportunity since the last time I was on to be part of. Nice. Um, it is. It is called Beer in a Movie. Um, and we actually did an episode back in um, September. Uh, they were uh, doing everything virtually. And we actually did an episode on Charlie Kaufman. Gotcha. So I think you're. Uh, listeners who are interested in the intersection between psychology and film. Mm -hmm. uh, we tackled uh, the new Netflix film. I'm thinking of ending things as well as adaptation. Yeah. Um, so you can look for that. Um, but other than that, nothing really plug. All right. Well, thanks again for coming by. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I, my pleasure. You know, you know, you just have to email me. I'll come up with some ideas. Yeah, exactly. Uh, solid, solid. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Until the next one, thanks for listening.